Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When a young man is out on a hike, he has no idea he's about to come face to face with a haunting event from his past. And then we meet a single mother who's trying her best to raise her two kids. Life is already difficult for one parent trying to do that job, but it is almost impossible when the house you are living in is possessed by a demon. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. Let's go ahead and get the ball rolling here. Let's go ahead and introduce in one of our newest Patreon supporters, walking into Dead Rabbit Command. Give it up for DJ Blue. Woo, yeah, wickety-wickety-whack. Scratching them turntables, DJ. His real name might be DJ. I don't know. I don't know if he's actually a disc jockey, but... DJ Blue, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. It really is. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really, really helps out a lot. It sucks. Just a quick... I am having a good day. I really am having a good day, but I want to see something real quick because I know other people deal with this. I'm also like in the middle of an anxiety attack. I'm like, when you have an anxiety attack, your fight or flight mechanism is rewired, right? And I woke up from this nap and I've not felt... 100%. I'm just, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life right now. The temperature's really hot. Um, I had a coffee this morning. I really don't drink a lot of caffeine anymore, so now any caffeine can set me off. But you know what? Here I am, man. I'm having an anxiety attack. My body feels like it could shut down at any moment. I'm, like, panicking, and I'm still doing what I need to do. And I wanted to share that with you because you can't let your own fears get in the way. I mean, I have to do this, right? I, I enjoy doing this podcast but I got to get these episodes out and I got to record them when I record them. And here I am. I'm sitting in here. I'm a little panicky. I feel aches and pains that actually don't exist or it's like a muscle soreness in my like lower right side, which makes me think I'm having a heart attack. It's just you got to push through all the obstacles, especially the fake ones. Especially the obstacles we put in front of ourselves. So let that be a little PSA for you guys this weekend. Do what you need to do. Do what you want to do. Don't ever let fear get in the way. Because most of the time, there's nothing to be afraid of. DJ Blue, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to Willett, New York. I found this story online. It was posted by someone going under the alias Left-Handed Archer. We're going to go ahead and call this guy Aaron. I don't think that's your real name. Hopefully it's not. If it is, it's just a guess. Again, I'm just giving you a name that's a little bit easier than than left-handed archer. Aaron is hiking through Red Brook State Forest in Willett, New York. He provided a Google map when he was talking about the story, like a satellite view, and just like lush trees. And it's not straight up in the middle of nowhere, but it's also not across the street from a Wendy's. Like, it is a hike. And that's where Aaron is walking through right now. 
And as he's walking through the forest, enjoying nature, seeing the beauty of the world all around him, he stumbles across the cabin, cabin in the woods. And it's partially collapsed. It's sitting there. The elements have destroyed most of this cabin over the decades since it's been built. But even though it's weathered, even though it's been falling apart, he immediately recognizes it. Memories begin to flood back into his head. He's been here before. Aaron tells this story. He goes, back in 1997, I was between the ages of three and four years old. I was in that little age group. And I was kidnapped. I was kidnapped at gunpoint by a man and a woman. And they took me to this cabin. They took me to this cabin and I was sexually molested. And then they let me go. And when I got home, I told my parents what happened. They didn't even know I was missing. They had no idea that I was gone. Especially no idea I was kidnapped. And they didn't believe me. They thought I made the story up. So nobody contacted the police. I was three, right? I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know how to contact the police. I don't know how this stuff happens. I go home, I tell my parents what happened. They totally don't believe me. They don't even believe that I'm missing. There's never been any police investigation done on this place. So life goes on. But as I'm hiking through the woods, just recently, I came across that cabin again, and I realized I should look into this. Because let's say he was three years old in 1997. You're like, great, here's a Jason Does Math segment. He'd be, this is how I do math. He'd be six in the year 2000, and it's the year 2020. He'd be 28 years old now. So now he does know how to call the police. Now he knows how things work. And he's actually, he was posting this on the subreddit RBI, which is Reddit Bureau of Investigations. They try to solve mysteries and stuff like that. I have this one noted, and I have an archive of it. They usually take stuff like this down. This subreddit is kind of lame. Anything that involves anything, basically anything that involves anything other than, I have an NES cartridge, but the label's peeled off. What is it? Other than that, and that stupid California Raisins ARG that's going on, they delete anything. Most of the time, that's police-related. But it is an interesting subreddit to take a look at. He says, this happened to me, and he provided the Google Earth coordinates. So I went ahead and pulled those up, and sure enough, you see this little collapsed structure in the woods. This is an interesting story, obviously, on a couple different levels. Let's start taking it apart. First off, absolutely tragic incident, right? On multiple levels. He was kidnapped, he was sexually molested, and then his parents didn't believe him. That's all three of those things in and of themselves. Well, your parents not believing you if like you're like, no, I didn't break the vase. That's okay. But your parents not believing you about something serious in and of itself is awful. Being kidnapped is in and of itself an awful. Even if they took him to the Waffle House and dropped him back off. That's horrible. And then obviously the third, the sexual assault is the, the worst. But having all three of them happening... Interesting story. It's a true crime story. And there's so many ways we can look at this. I'm, I'm tr- I am I'm, tried to figure out, looking at this map, like, was he... Because there's some information missing, too, right? I'm sure some of you guys are like, huh? Where was he kidnapped from? Was he kidnapped from his house? Was he walking down the road? Even the road seemed a little out of the way. I didn't see a neighborhood in there. So was he kidnapped from his house? Was he kidnapped from the road? He doesn't say that he remembered the people. He actually, looking back, he goes, those people were incredibly dangerous. They kidnapped me at gunpoint and took me out to this cabin. And he said there was a light bulb on in the cabin. So there was utilities out there. Was I the only one? Did they do this to multiple children? 
Did the other children just disappear, or were they also not noticed that they were missing? But it's just creepy on that level. Like, he had this thing happen to him, which would be a major news story if the police were involved, if the parents believed him. He goes, listen, I didn't have the best family life. I was looking through his posting history. That wasn't the first time that happened either. He does mention that a female family member had also sexually abused him. And he was trying to see if he could figure out who owned the cabin. But by now, the deeds had been transferred. People were actually looking into this. They, you know, like land ownership and deeds were transferred in and out. So just because someone owned it now. And it doesn't seem to be inhabited. It seems like it's empty. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of people living in a house with a collapsed roof. But And here you have this 28-year-old man. You know, he's trying to, I think at this point, find out more about the case to see, you know, has this these people need to be stopped, obviously. If there are people driving around and they're kidnapping children at gunpoint, it's not the first time and it wasn't the last. You know, like, did these people do other things to other people? Are they still out there? One of the reasons why I like doing this show, not just to depress you, not to just tell creepy stories on Fridays, especially true crime, and the reason why I go out of my way to find true crime that people haven't heard of is because stuff like this. These are the events that happen daily all across America, all across the world. But the Ted Bundys and the Jeffrey Dahmers and the Lori Vallows, you know, these big true crime cases, those are the outliers. And that's why they're covered, because they're so weird. But this type of stuff happens all the time. And a lot of times people don't talk about it. Because the family doesn't believe the victim, or because the victim doesn't say anything. You know, at that point, it's normalized to them that it might not have been the first time that something happens to a kid who's 7, 8, and they get grabbed by some strangers and taken to the sawmill, and stuff happens to them, and then they get dropped back off. And you know what? That's not the first time I've had family members touching me. I'm not even going to... It's just part of being a kid. And then they go on with their life. It's disturbing. Now that I'm talking about it out loud, I realize actually how disturbing it is. But these are the true crimes that happen all the time. Creepy, creepy story and a mystery, too. Like, he doesn't know who these people are. What happened to them? Are they still out there? Are they still doing this? All he knows is that the shack is still there. The fact that he was able to find the shack, and I don't think he was out there looking for it. I think he was just hiking through the area and saw the shack. Absolutely creepy, disturbing mystery. Are these people still out there? Did they do it multiple times? I would say yes. They probably did this multiple times. And How many other young children did they abduct and take to this cabin or any other cabin? terrifying mystery, terrifying true crime story. I probably would not have told it on a Friday had I thought it through how creepy it actually was. But DJ Blue, let's go ahead and give you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Willett, New York, not a moment too soon. We are headed all the way out to suburban America. The ride, the ride is very long and very silent. DJ Blue, I was going to have him do yesterday's episode. I go, nah, yesterday's episode was too gross. And then he's like, oh, thanks, Jason. That story's absolutely terrifying. 
Keep flying us in this Carpenter Copter, DJ Blue. We are headed out to this small house in suburban America. It's, I, you know, we don't know where this takes place, honestly. We don't know where this takes place. So I say suburban America, but the house that this family is living in is like 200 years old. So it might actually be not a, a, a set of tract housing somewhere in Anaheim, California. It may be like a, a nice big house on the East Coast. 200-year-old house. We're back in the year 2013. That's where this saga begins. And we're going to meet this woman. We're going to go ahead and call her Monica. She did not give her name. Monica's a single mother, and she is moving into this house with her two children and her Shih Tzu, little puppy, who we will call Barkley. Now, she knows she's buying an old house, and she said when she was looking at the house and when she was visiting the house, she could tell the house was haunted. She could tell the house had this sort of energy to it. And she actually told her kids, listen, <laughs> listen, I know this is your first night in this spooky, ooky house, and it's haunted. But just don't give it any energy. Don't think about it. Don't think about that lingering death glare staring at you from underneath the bed. When you're taking a shower, when you're taking a shower, don't think about hands pressing up against the shower curtains. Don't think about any of that stuff. Just ignore it. Don't give it any energy. Kids are like, okay, Ma. And that's what she kind of did, right? She's just like, okay, it's haunted. I got a bigger fish to fry. Not going to think about it. And then, obviously, because we're talking about this on a paranormal podcast, things escalate. At one point, you know, she's it's just her in the house. Her kids are staying with their grandparents, and they're like only like a mile or two away. So she can work on the house. At this point, she was tearing off the old paneling to the house and kind of fixing it up. And she said she's tearing off the paneling, and it's hard work, very physical. She's exhausted. She ends up calling it a night, and her and Barkley go to bed. So she's laying in the bed, and the little Shih Tzu is sleeping at her feet. And Monica says at around 3.15, she remembers the time, at around 3.15, she hears Barkley yelp. She actually said, that actually sounded like a happy yelp. She said it sounded like somebody had kicked Barkley. Like it wasn't a happy one. It was a, oh, Barkley is in pain, and it wakes Monica up. She wakes up, and she's trying to figure out what's going on, why her little dog's yelping. And she said, I sat up in bed, and then my entire body froze in place. She said, as I sat up, it was like I got locked into that sitting up position. And she goes, the, the angle that my body was at, you wouldn't need to have a full-on ab workout. Suzanne Summers came to your house every day and worked out your abs type of physical fitness. She goes, when I came up into that position and I locked, she said it was extremely uncomfortable and she couldn't figure out how she stayed like that for so long. She sat up and then she froze and she goes, the freezing wasn't just my body. I also couldn't scream. Like I was in immediate shock that this was happening to me, and I couldn't scream, and I was locked into this very uncomfortable sitting-up position, almost like a mid-crunch. And then she felt something reach in and grab onto her heart. 
She said, my chest was just racked with wave after wave of pain as something is just squeezing my heart and my tummy, my abs. I was in this awkward position. My entire midsection was cramping up and hurting so bad and her chest was just getting crushed. And she's in this position and she gets a thought in her head. You have two choices, Monica. Choose to live or choose to die. And she said, because she's in so much pain, this is interesting, this is interesting, because she's in so much pain, she chose to die. And right when she made that decision, her body completely relaxes, she falls backwards onto the bed. This entire sensation is done. She reaches over, she turns on the light, she grabs her car keys, she grabs her dog, And that's when she realized that both her and Barkley had both wet the bed. Now, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, I'm reading this in order. The first time I read this, I go, oh, man, it sounds like she was having a seizure or or a heart attack. But as the story progresses, (laughs) that's not the end of the story. As the story progresses, like at first you go, because I am skeptical of everything. But I believe in ghosts and all this stuff. We talked about that on the show before. But when I'm reading it, I go, it sounds like she actually might have had like a mild heart attack or stroke. And maybe they'll reveal that later in the story. They don't. It was a ghost. But um, then the idea of her choosing to die. We've covered a ton of stories. So many stories. I don't even think I could put them in the show notes. Of people being faced with these decisions, these impossible odds. And they choose to live. And then something happens. They have a near-death experience. They meet an alien or a ghost or something like that. Guardian angel. Monica chose to die, even though she had two children that she loved very much. The pain was just too unbearable. And she chose to die, and the phenomenon ended. That event ended. Or did it? Was her decision that night an aggravating factor for what happens going forward? I couldn't say that was not the decision that I would make, right? I'm a big baby when it comes to pain. but And then she peed the bed, which isn't demonic, but it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. She goes on to say, she goes, listen, life is not easy. It's not easy for anyone. It's not easy for a single parent of two children. But this house has made it so much worse. And she goes, I'm a homebody. I love staying at home. That's where I relax. That's where I recharge. But not here. My entire life, I've been a homebody. I'd rather sit at home watching television or reading a good book than going out. My entire life, I was like that. But not in this home. Not in my home. And so she finds it odd that when she leaves, let's say she goes away for a weekend. She's on this little vacation. She feels amazing. She feels so good about life. She feels physically healthy. She feels mentally healthy. But when she comes home, she describes it as an unending cycle of depression. Something is wrong with this house. Something is wrong with this house. And she believes that this house has a ghost in it. And she starts looking for spiritual answers, which is a great place to start and usually a great place to finish if it's just something small. She goes, I pray. I prayed in every room. I was praying for deliverance from this thing. She said that she saged the place. She said she brought in a priest to bless the place. Nothing helped. The place still was oppressive, 
She could feel this presence in her house, in the house of her and her family. That it's like putting a thumb on her. I'd say more than that, just squashing her down with a boot into the mud. She says that when she's alone in the house, which I don't know why you would be, but again, she kind of talks about that. She goes, I can't afford to move. The story starts in 2013. I'm telling it in 2022. She's still there. She's still trapped. She goes, when I'm home alone, because I can't force my children to be there all the time, she goes, I will hear someone call my name. And she says the way that it says it is desperate. It's not, yo, Monica. Hey, what's up? It's Monica. 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 She's praying that this goes away. She's been here for years. And she thinks, you know, because her kids aren't experiencing any of this stuff. So she goes, whatever's in the house, at least it's focused on me. She, she goes, my kids aren't experiencing this feeling of oppression, this cycle of depression. They're not at least... I mean, I'd rather it be focused on somebody else outside of my family, but it's not affecting my kids. It's only affecting me. But because she is feeling it, she says, I have this constant desire to not go on. I choose to stay alive for my children. She says that in this post. I choose to stay alive for my children, and I believe that. I choose to stay alive for my children. I would never leave them. But it's getting so hard to live. So in this post that I'm reading, and it'll be linked in the show notes, it's it almost it I didn't teach you blue yesterday's episode was really rough. He's like, this is the same episode. This episode's just as disturbing. This is half looking for answers regarding paranormal activity, and it half feels like a rough draft of a suicide note. Just can't go on. And what I find so fascinating about this, what I find so fascinating about this, this is something that I, I've kind of mentioned maybe over the course of 912, 13 episodes that we're at, is the economic, and maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't, it's the economic, this is going to sound so dry, and it'll probably be the title of the podcast, but the economic devastation of a demonic infestation. Because... The best way to break somebody in our modern world is to break the things around them. I'm not talking people. Imagine if life is going fine and then everything that you love breaks. Your gaming console, your computer... Your car, one by one, it's not dramatic, right? It's not like they're flying around the room and snapping in half. Because even though that would suck that they broke, you got to see paranormal activity. Your graphics card goes out on your computer. We've all we've all been here. Your graphics, maybe you're like, Jason, I'm not a gamer like you, I'm not a nerd. Graphics card goes out on a computer, you fix that, the fan goes out. Ugh. 
you fix that or maybe you just buy another laptop and then you're using that and then the keyboard like right when you get it the w button is stuck the most important button on any computer nowadays car constantly having small breakdowns it doesn't even have to be super dramatic stuff just small breakdowns now that's life everything that inhabits our life is a system and no system is perfect whether that be an automobile or an electronic system or a blender whatever microwave television anything like that something's always bound to go wrong and we manage Right, We figure out a way to navigate all this stuff. But imagine if it truly was unrelenting and you were in a haunted house. So you would have, because a lot of times when something goes wrong, you go, ah, you know, it's going to wear out anyways. Or, ah, I got a pixel on my screen. But she goes, she says, in nine years, she'd been here from 2013 to now. In nine years, I'm on my fifth dishwasher, fourth fridge, third stove, fourth hot water heater, and I could go on and on. Those are major appliances. Those are things you need to work to have a baseline level of comfort. Five dishwashers, four fridges, three stoves, four hot water heaters... And that's just what she's listing. Those are the major things that are breaking down. And I was reading this and I thought, that's chef's kiss when it comes to demons. Like, you, you know how much psychological damage you can do to somebody by just constantly breaking major things in their houses? And minor things every once in a while. You wake up, you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I really need my coffee this morning. Coffee pot doesn't work. Like, just dead. It doesn't work at all. I mean, that's actually, as far as demons go, that's a pretty efficient tactic. You don't have to possess anybody. You don't have to be walking around in their body. They're all sweaty and smelly inside. You're like, oh, just break stuff. Do what Fred Durst always told us to do. And you can just psychologically break someone down that way. Over the course of nine years, just constantly breaking major and minor appliances. And kicking their dog And forcing them to get in that weird position. And it's interesting because going back to that, she chose to die in that moment. It almost feels like that was what the demon needed to really turn the heat up. We've covered a lot of stories where people... Actually, they're so common. I don't think I really talk about it on the podcast. Aliens showing up in someone's house and they pray and the aliens get scared and go away. That's super common in UFOlogy. Now, if they go, oh, no, I'm so afraid of aliens. I'm so afraid of aliens. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Then that would embolden them, right? They know they have fear. The fact that she chose death in that moment makes it seem like the demon is trying to get that. Over a long period of time, trying to get that end result she asked for so many years ago when they first moved in, I choose death. And now it's getting her to live up to her end of the bargain. And then the other day, she was walking through the house. Her youngest son is actually getting ready to graduate high school. And she hears her son talking to one of his friends in the house. She was walking by and she heard this conversation. The son goes, yes, house is kind of creepy, isn't it? You know, you want to hear something really weird? Sometimes when I'm all alone, I can hear someone calling my name. And Monica, that really upset Monica because she thought as long as it was affecting her, it was sparing her children. And it turns out that wasn't the case. So why the children weren't telling the mom 
Who knows? Maybe because she said, oh, just ignore it, it'll go away. So that's what they figured. They just never gave it a second thought. But the demon was tormenting all of them. So her idea that at least it's focused on me turned out not to be true. It was definitely affecting one of them. It was definitely affecting her son. She ends her post like this. Quote, my son graduates next year and I don't have the means to buy something else. I don't even have the energy to try even if I did. I feel so depleted. This house takes all my money, my time, my energy. All I do is try to fix the things that break, but every day more things break. I'm exhausted. Please tell me what to do to rid this from our lives. I'm at the end of my rope. It's interesting to think. I think we've been trained by horror books and movies and things like that. That these events culminate in a huge fashion. The demon pushes itself through the wall. I'm coming for you now, Monica. She's like running. She like picks up Barkley and throws him at the dog. Take Barkley, take Barkley. He peed in my bed that one day. The demon's like, no, get out of the way, Barkley. And the demon's like chasing, chasing Monica through the hallways. And then the hallways become impossibly long and they're spinning around. And Monica's like, I don't remember this part of the house. Ah! And it's like this demonic conclusion. Or the very ending, the hunky priest who doesn't know if he's going to stay a priest because he's so hunky, he's so muscular, the suit breaks on him. He kicks in the door and he holds up the crucifix. The demon's like, no, my only weakness. Men, muscular men, muscular men, you're so sexy. Ah!" And the demon gets warped into hell and Monica and the priest are good friends (laughs) because the priest doesn't actually want to. He doesn't, he, he found his faith when he saw a 15-foot demon running down an impossibly long hallway. It's kind of hard to be an atheist when you see something like that. He's like, "Ah, I guess being a priest is my duty. And him and Monica became good buddies. The end. But in real life, just like the first story we covered, that's how these stories normally end. Not with some man and woman in Willett, New York, getting their door kicked down by the police and dragged out and there's cameras click 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 there's a trial and the boys pointing at him and the family's like oh we're so glad that you're safe Aaron no no it's almost never like well it is sometimes like that because that's why we have that stereotype most of the time these offenders do stuff and they just keep on going and the victims go well that sucked and they go hang out on the swing set because like they're just like I guess this is part of being a kid I have nothing to compare this against and the same thing with a lot of hauntings and demonic activity. You expect the demon's going to make people's heads spin around and there's going to be like lights shaking and a huge roar coming from the basement. Someone's like, seal the door, seal the door. And then at the very ending, they're like, the demon's destroyed. And then Monica's holding Barkley and then the camera close up on Barkley and his eyes glow red. I actually saw a movie. <laughs> I actually saw a movie that ended like that. I think it was called Queen of Spades or something. But anyways... The point is, is that this is one of those stories that just happens and it's not going to have a dramatic conclusion. I hope that Monica stays safe. I hope Monica doesn't do anything rash. I think we all hope that, right? I think we all hope that. To, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to put this out there. 
Normally, when I find stuff on Reddit, I have their username. This person, Monica in particular, she posted this on Reddit. She posted it, I think, in Ghosts or um, High Strangeness, one of the two. She posted it, and then she deleted the post. And she still has her username. She's still actively having her username out there. So you can read this article in full that I've just read you, but I have also deleted her name because the fact that she put it out there and then deleted it and is still using that username, I wanted to allow her that anonymity. So I'll keep an eye. I think I'll, I'll keep checking her Reddit from time to time. Make sure she's still around because otherwise she talks about just like random stuff. This thing kind of popped out of nowhere, but... That's how these things work. Paranormal phenomenon doesn't just happen to people who have an interest in the paranormal. It happens to a lot of ordinary people. I'd say it mostly happens to ordinary people who live ordinary lives, who don't have these huge, bombastic light shows at the end of the story, and she can go, me and my family are safe. No, her kids will move out, and she'll be stuck in that house all alone. That's the economic reality of it. Don't have the money to buy another house, and even if I did, I don't even have the energy to do it. I think she's been hiding from her children how serious this has gotten. We can tell how serious it is. She's talking about killing herself. She mentions that in very, quote-unquote, vague ways several times through this post. And that's with other people living in the house with her. How dark and oppressive is this entity going to become when she's the only person there? I'm at the end of my rope. That's a terrifying way to end any article or letter or conversation. But that is the reality that Monica is facing right now. Her story may not end with a climatic battle between good versus evil. Her story may not end with a special effects laden conclusion, wrapping everything up nicely, but leaving room for a sequel. What is the end game of this demon haunting this house? Is it what we all think of the cliche? It's trying to claim souls for Satan. Possibly, right? In the world of the paranormal, that's definitely possible. Or is this just a game? A sadistic and twisted game that this demon is playing to see how far he can break this woman. To see how far he can push her. And he already knows the score. He can push her pretty far. Because the very first time he interacted with her, when he contracted all of the muscles in her body and squeezed her heart, she begged for death. The pain was too much. And the demon realized in that moment, oh, if you think that's too much pain, you have no idea what's coming. And he let her go. He let her live. He could have killed her with a heart attack that night. Kids would have come home, found their mother dead in her bed. But instead, this demon had other plans. He didn't want to kill her outright. He wanted her to wish that she was dead. And now that's what she does every day. So much so that she writes about it on the internet for strangers to read about looking for any sort of help. That type of torture, that type of barbarity that you could string out 
a person's torment for nine years and relish in it. There's only one word to describe something like that. Demonic. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.